Are you a real estate investor looking to elevate your income, freedom, and lifestyle? If so, optimize your daily performance by downloading our free guide, Raising the Bar, Five Steps to Elevate Your Habits at elevatepod.com. In this guide created by yours truly, You'll learn why you do what you do, how to easily institute cues in your environment to trigger desired behavior, directly applicable steps to create a fulfilling future, and much more. Get your free copy now at elevatepod.com and kickstart your new habits today. Your future self will thank you. Welcome to Elevate, the masterclass where we dissect the elements of exceptional achievement and lifestyle design with a focus on personal growth and real estate investing. Now, here's your host, Tyler Chesser. Elevate Nation. Welcome back. This is Tyler Chester. I'm so thankful to have you here. And I am blessed and grateful to be sitting with Patrick McGinnis today. And if you've ever heard of the term FOMO, fear of missing out, then you know about Patrick McGinnis because he is actually the individual who coins that term 20 years ago. And it's now a globally used phrase, a globally used term to describe a fear of missing out, which is uh, something that I think all of us experience very frequently or from time to time, depending on where you are in in terms of your own training, your own uh, mindset. And uh, I think it's a valuable, valuable discussion that you are going to learn today how to harness FOMO for good. You're also going to learn more about how and why we've been hardwired to experience FOMO, what that means for us as investors. You're also going to learn about FOBO, or a fear of a better option, and how that holds some investors back, how that propels others forward, how you can utilize both of these psychological experiences uh, in negotiations, in leadership, and so forth, you know, creating leverage. Uh, This is a very valuable discussion. I'm so excited about this. I'm so excited for you to be here. Elevate Podcast is all about mindset, mind expansion, and personal development for high-performing real estate investors. I'm your host, Tyler Chester, and I'm a professional real estate investor and high-performance coach. It is my job to decode the stories, habits, and multifaceted expertise of world-class investors and other experts to help you elevate your performance and lifestyle. Are you ready to take it to another level? It is time. Let's raise the bar today. While we dive in here, thank you so, so much for listening to Elevate Podcast. It means the world to me. It means the world to our team. And we're so excited to continue to invest in you, to pour into you, to pour into your cup, and to help you take things to the next level, to help you expand your lifestyle, to help you expand your fulfillment, your enjoyment. And guess what? Also, your money, right? Your income, your cash flow, your wealth. Your options at the end of the day, I think many of us in real estate, we, we love to increase our options to improve the quality of our lives and to provide for our families, to provide for our purpose and so forth. So if you're enjoying Elevate, um, thank you so much for being here. If it's your first time listening, welcome. We are ready to pour into you. The fee for listening today, whether it's your first time or 250th time, is to pay it forward and share this episode with a friend. If you've already done that in the past, we thank you so much because we are experiencing record growth on this podcast and this community, and it's because of you. So we just want to thank you from the bottom of our heart. If you've already paid the fee in the past, thank you. We ask that you do that again today. Pay it forward, grab the link, send in a text message, email, social media, whatever you need to do to spread this this message that you can do anything that you want with your life and elevate podcast is a platform and an opportunity for people to join that movement. And, uh, we are thankful that you're a part of this movement and would not be anything without you. So thank you. I want to invite you also to give us a rating review and subscribe or follow elevate podcast and wherever it is that you listen or 
watch podcasts. Uh, that's very important for us as well. And um, we want to hear from you. We we really desperately need it in many ways. We want to know, what do you love about this podcast? What do you want to see more of? What is it that you really want to share with the world about this podcast? Thank you so much. Rating, review, subscribe, or follow. Uh, without further ado, I want to introduce you now to the great Patrick McGinnis. And um, Patrick is an international venture capitalist. He's the host of the hit podcast, FOMO Sapiens, and he's author of Fear of Missing Out, Practical Decision-Making in a World of Overwhelming Choice. Patrick coined the term FOMO, Fear of Missing Out, as well as the related term FOBO, Fear of a Better Option, in a 2004 article in the student newspaper of Harvard Business School. FOMO has since been added to the dictionary, and FOBO has been increasingly an increasingly popular framework to describe choice paralysis. Patrick is also the author of the international bestseller, The 10% Entrepreneur, Live Your Startup Dream Without Quitting Your Day Job. He has been featured in the New York Times, Politico, Financial Times, The Guardian, and Inc., and gave the popular 2019 TED Talk on FOBO and decision-making that has surpassed 1.5 million views. He's originally from Maine. Patrick is a graduate of Georgetown University and Harvard Business School. He has visited over 100, he's visited 103 countries and now lives in New York City. And you can learn more about Patrick at patrickmcginnis.com. Of course, we'll put links in the show notes there. But without further ado, please enjoy this very insightful conversation with Patrick McGinnis. Patrick McGinnis, finally, welcome to Elevate, my friend. How are you? Good. How are you? <laughs> I'm awesome, man. And uh, I know we've been working the schedule a little bit, kind of massaging the schedule. And we're finally here. I'm excited about it. But uh, man, how are you today? What's new in your world? I know you survived the, the blizzard last week up in New York. So thankfully, we're here to talk to you. But what's new in your world, man? Oh, wow. Uh, let's see. I mean, it's the new year. I just got back from a vacation in Yemen. On this, on this island called Socotra, which is the safe... Unfortunately, Yemen's going through a terrible civil war, but this island is really safe. So I spent a week without internet, in nature, without showers, without toilets, without bed, sleeping in a tent. It was very good for the soul and came back and I just... You know, it's wintertime in New York. My big kind of fun professional thing, I guess, is I just dropped on Thursday. So the other day, a course on LinkedIn Learning called overcoming, excuse me, they changed the name, navigating fear of missing out at work instead of overcoming. For some reason that works better. Um, and uh, yeah, so that that just happened. And I'm just, you know, I'm just, just kind of enjoying a little bit of downtime, uh, staying home a little bit more, you know, surviving the winter. That's awesome, man. I have to tell you that you are the first person that I've ever asked about what's been going on to tell me that they just got back from a vacation in Yemen. Uh, I got to tell you yeah. that. So that's it's pretty awesome. Though. Did you just go by yourself or did you have any comrades with you? No, I went in a group actually. So it was organized by, uh, I have this group of friends who all of us are really interested in traveling to a little bit more of unique places. So, you know, the stands and stuff like that. And so one of the people in this group uh, who is kind of like a geopolitical risk specialist approached eight of us and said, hey, let's make a group together. And I didn't know. I knew a few of the people. So it was a real motley crew. Everything from a CNBC journalist to an Iraqi Canadian lawyer to, um, you know, like a uh, entrepreneurs and, and private bankers. And we all just kind of convened and we had a great time. I mean, it was a really diverse group of people. Everybody has strong personalities, but we sort of made it work. And I think just being outdoors a lot was 
helpful. That actually kind of tells me a little bit about you, maybe more than a little bit about you. It actually shows me that you're willing to, you know, put yourself in unfamiliar circumstances, put yourself around an eclectic group of people because you're curious about that. You're curious about trying things that are a little bit maybe would be considered more risky than than most. And I think that's really cool. That's awesome. But if you were to describe yourself in the way that the people that know you best would describe you, what would you say about that, Patrick? Oh, it's a good question. Uh, Listen, what people always tell me is I'm really good at making things like planting ideas, generating ideas, starting things, creating things, which is funny to me because I worked in the corporate world for such a long time that I didn't feel that way about myself. But now I guess, you know, that I've been doing kind of working with myself and, uh, you know, for the last decade, I realized that's what I was always good at doing. I just forgot when I was in the system, like when I was working on Wall Street, you know, where you're that is granted there's a place for that but it's not necessarily like you are a part of a company and you represent a company you're not your own person and so you you don't necessarily draw upon that in the same way as you might when you work for yourself that resonates with me deeply and i think about almost growing up like in the academia and just coming up in in corporate myself it's like here's the next step for you and it's been predetermined here's the curriculum here's the syllabus and here's the next steps and it's interesting because it almost, you almost have to find that creativity. You know, when you think about creating things, it's like, I think it's within all of us, but we're not conditioned for that perhaps. And I'm not blaming anybody. I'm not pointing fingers or anything, but I think it's interesting because I had to go through this uh, metamorphosis myself to be able to discover that. So that's really interesting. But talk to me a little bit about your upbringing, your backstory. You mentioned obviously working on, on wall street, give us a sense of uh, a little bit of your background. Sure. So I grew up in a small town in Maine, 20,000 people called Sanford. And it was a kind of place where like my dad worked for the government. My mom worked for local companies. I didn't really, you know, I knew small business owners, but the term entrepreneur wasn't one that I'd ever heard, of course. And when I went to call, I went to Georgetown and uh, I wanted to be, my mom wanted me, a lo- me to be a lawyer. I didn't know what I wanted to be. I had never known what I wanted to be, frankly. I've never had a clear vision of that. <laughs> and uh, But I knew that Wall Street was prestigious and paid a lot of money. So I got a job working on Wall Street in the Latin America group because I had been, I'd lived in Argentina in college. I love Latin America. So I was like, I don't know about finance, but I like Latin America. So that'll you know get me working with the region. And after a year there, I was lucky enough to get uh, transferred over to our VC group doing venture capital investments. And I really liked that. I It was really uh, played to my strengths in terms of you know building networking and finding companies and trying to add value to them. And so that was great. Uh, and then I went off to Harvard Business School and came out and got a job back on Wall Street where everything blew up in fantastic fashion. Fantastic is probably the wrong word because there's nothing good about it, but spectacular fashion. And uh, I then- It seems like a word where, that's a little off, but know, go ahead. Horrible fashion. Uh, but then I had to kind of undo all of the, you know, kind of rethink all the things. And that was, you know, it's been a decade of, of doing that, um, which has been, it's been awesome, but like, you know, hard at times. Yeah, I would imagine it's not been completely awesome in the moment, right? But you look back and it's like, wow, that's such a gift. You had to transform, you had to become this new person, right? Or you had to discover who it was that was going to be able to over, overcome those challenges, right? Exactly. I mean, if you think about, if I think about myself now, I'm probably the closest I was to what I was like as a kid, actually. Mm. Cause I like, I'm not that I listen, I value all the education, all the experience. It's all really good. But like the more that you get, in, into sort of like a corporate life and the treadmill and all the stuff, you start to value things that 
probably never mattered to you in the first place and to do things that you never really wanted to do. And the further that you can get back to the things actually you care about, um, the more like you're more like a kid because kids kind of do what they want to do, right? They, they're interested, they're curious, they're intellectually curious. They talk to everybody um, vis-a-vis, you know, when you get into the mindset of like, well, I, you know, I'm a careerist and I'm just, this is how I get ahead. And therefore like, this is all that matters. And I'm going to be transactional, which I definitely was. I have stepped away from that. And I think as a result, it's a much better, uh, it's a much better sort of opportunity set going forward. You do actually bring this like playful childlike energy with you, which is really fun and it's really cool. And it's, you, you almost live that. So like one of the things that I learned a few years back was, and I don't know if this is the right way to describe it or even the right context to describe this is, um, if you want to really glean insights from information and data, it's about reading between the lines, like what's not being said or mm. what's being said between sort of this information. I almost read in between the lines with you. It's like, you're doing what you're supposed to be doing now. Like you, this is, really it's almost like if you follow your your nose it's like man you bring this playful energy it almost seems like this is exactly where you're supposed to be so I, I just think that's really cool I wanted to call that out but um, man talk to me when did you become so fascinated with like human decision making and entrepreneurial decision making like when did that become a part of your purview oh man that's a great question that I never had before so it's funny because I never thought about so the stuff that I think about and write about in, in, in the early couple, first couple of years of doing this. Cause I've been really, I guess, working in that, like doing this kind of stuff for like eight, nine years now, um, which is unbelievable. But in the beginning, I didn't think about decision-making actually. Like it never occurred to me that at the root of all these things was decision-making. Uh, it was more about like, I don't know. I thought about more as like life structure, how you structure your life. But at the core of anything is like the decision to actually do those things. And then the decisions behind how you actually structure. So like, do I want to be a full-time employee? Do I want to be full? want to create a hybrid of those things? Like behind that is a series of decisions because most people, um, unless they are very, very, very decisive, or they are completely, their, their world is blown up and they have to rebuild it from scratch. They will never do any of these things. Right. We just, we're comfortable and there's inertia and it's like, it's easier to just kind of stick with the program. And so I think over time, what I did realize is I had never even studied psychology as a, and I was never interested, like not even college, not even psych 101, but the more, uh, guests I had on my podcast, FOMO sapiens who were psychologists and, and, uh, behavioral, uh, psychologists and experts in decision-making and all those types of people. Um, I was like, wow, this is all related. And so I think that's where I, where I got going. I'm like you, man. I, I was, man, I, I could never imagine myself being interested in psychology. And I always kind of thought about the people who majored in psych, like, oh, you're taking the easy way out. Like, what are you even totally. going to do with that? You know, but now what I've realized just kind of going through this own meta, my own metamorphosis myself, and I continue to change and grow every single day. And I'm sure you're doing the same is it comes down to what's actually going on between my ears. What's going on between the ears of other people that I'm working with or, you know, wanting to, to work with or wanting to influence or just in general, like every single one of us, it's like, man, we have a very complex thing that we're dealing with here called our brain and our mind, which can go even deeper than just, you know, that organ of our brain, which I think is very fascinating, but man, I just, I'm with you. I think psychology and what really drives people to make certain decisions to structure their life is fascinating. And I love that. So, all right, man. So let's get to it, man, because FOMO, look, we've all heard of the term 
right? We've all heard of the term. You mentioned your podcast, FOMO Sapiens, which I, I'll recommend for the folks to go check out uh, to go deeper, really just in this concept and in this world. But you coined the term. You really coined the term. And, uh, you know, give us a sense of when that came up. Uh, it sounds like it was back in school, right? In your school days. But give us a sense of what that was all about. Yeah, it was 2002 two, three, actually, uh, basically what happened was I was, you know, I was in New York, I was working in JP Morgan, uh, venture capital, private equity in Latin America, just working all the time. And, uh, (laughs) and then I, then in the middle, you know, and I took my GMAT actually on September 10th, 2001. And I, I know it's, it was like, uh, I went out and celebrated that night and I was looking at Twin Towers because I was in lower Manhattan and I said to my friend, like, what a great view of the towers. And the next morning when I woke up, because I I overslept because it was a late night, the towers had been attacked. And I realized like the life that I thought I knew, like the, you know, the life that we all lived, like it was totally, you know, was it going to be the same? No. And it was sort of like, wow, you know, the world is so fragile and precious and our lives are so... Um, easily disrupted by crazy things that you can't even see coming around the corner that from now on, I want to kind of live life to the fullest. Right. And I think, you know, we can all relate to that now, especially with the pandemic. And so um, I, I got into Harvard business school, which was also like not on my radar at all. I mean, I'd never thought I had a shot at something like that. So when I arrived, I was like, I have this huge opportunity, two years here, like, you know, I come from like the small town in Maine. Here I am at Harvard business school. I got to do everything I got to go to all the classes, go to all the job interviews, go to all the parties, all the trips, all the everything. And so I did. And I was exhausted and stressed out and tired all the time. And I realized everybody else was too, because we were trying to do it all. We had a fear of missing out. So I started you know, calling this a fear of missing out. And I shorted it to FOMO because I've come up with, I've invented words since I was in high school. And, and so I have like a list of like all these words I've invented. And I wrote an article in our school newspaper uh, called Social Theory at HBS, McGinnis's Two Foes, all about FOMO and another term called FOBO or Fear of a Better Option that came out on May 10th, 2004, first time ever used anywhere. And then years later, a journalist tracked me down and had done, you know, and I hired like a cyber sleuth and to check it out too. And, you know, authenticated that, you know, I'm the first person to use FOMO. So it's kind of wild. My question is, are you more famous than Beyonce now? Because she came up with Bootylicious, you know, and that's I not mean, a dictionary, I got to say. So, is it? I, yeah, man. <laughs> so Bootylicious is in the dictionary. So the question is, you know, where do you fall on that scale? Uh, but of course, I kid and I think about FOMO and fear of missing out. I mean, when you think about it, everyone experiences this or has experienced this, whether you've heard of the term or not. I just think it's interesting that you were the originator. I mean, it's it's used globally, you know, and, and uh, that's pretty interesting contribution to the world to bring that to the awareness. But for folks who may have never heard of this term, it's a global term to describe the anxiety you have when you feel others are having better, more fulfilling experiences than you are. And I think this is almost like a deep psychological thing that we all experience, whether we acknowledge it or not. In fact, I saw a stat that what 69% of millennials experience FOMO on a daily basis. Yeah. I mean, and also other ages too, uh, like all the ages, but yeah, people, because first of all, thank you. I think you used, is that my definition of FOMO? I think it might be. Yeah. Cause I was like, that sounds about right. Um, cause there's a million different, if you go to the urban dictionary, they have their own take on it or the Oxford dictionary or the whatever the Webster. Um, so it's good that you, I, I tried to come up with like a really 
comprehensive one. So well, like, you're the you're you're the ultimate um, you know authority on this. So we, we gotta go. To, we gotta go to the source here, right? I appreciate that. Uh, yeah, you know the thing is that our listen. I I just said I was in Yemen for the week without internet. Do you know how many times I felt FOMO? I bet uh, my guess is a lot, but I'm not sure. You tell me. No, zero. Oh, interesting. Because, well, maybe like three times. One time was when I was, uh, I was like, I got lost in the woods and, uh, and everybody else was back at camp having dinner. And I was like, I got to find my way home because I don't want to miss out on dinner or slash die here. Um, but the major driver, I mean, FOMO has existed since the beginning of time. But the major driver of FOMO now on a daily basis is our devices and the notifications and all of the, you know, the pokes and things. I mean, we don't say poke anymore like the old Facebook way, but you know what I mean? (laughs) And it's all of these external stimuli that cause us to want to check the internet and be on social and all this sort of stuff. And so when you remove those from the equation, actually, your FOMO tends to recede dramatically. And so the few times that I, I try to every year do like a Oh, several day, non like total, like no phones, whatever. Mm-hmm. And every time I do that, I'm like, wow, I have no FOMO. This is insane. Why is that? Is that just because you've trained yourself to be aware of, Hey, that, that, that primal instinct that, Hey, we want to be a part of the tribe. We don't want to miss out. And you're just so aware of it now that you don't mm. have that feeling or wh- how has that resulted for you? Yeah. I mean, I'm super in touch with it. I, I have FOMO all the time and I, and I, and I know I, I know the triggers. And in fact, I've removed so many of the triggers from my life. However, I mean, I'm a human being. Like, for example, this summer in New York City was the the summer of FOMO where everybody, you know, when we had a very like COVID sort of receded dramatically and, you know, a lot of us lived that time. Some, and so it was sort of like socializing again. And I remember like one night I had four things and I was like, wow, this is total FOMO night. I'm going to do all these things and it's going to be ridiculous. And it was, um, I was out to like seven in the morning. Right. And so, and I knew that, but I was like, listen, I'm going to allow myself to do this because it's been a couple of rough years. Right. But in general, like, you know, I, I know I have FOMO because frankly, like I go on LinkedIn and I see all these people doing amazing things that I, by the way, I, I couldn't do those things, right? So nobody's going to make me CEO of like a public company right now. It's not happening. And why should I feel FOMO about that? So I, I'm aware of it. I think about the stimuli. I stay away from the things that provoke it. And I recognize that FOMO really is, it's a, it's a major impediment to having focus, Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it almost creates analysis paralysis, not even just like a, a lack of fulfillment or enjoyment in your life, but professionally analysis paralysis, it can lead to that for investors, for entrepreneurs. And I know we'll dive into that today. And, and mm-hmm. you mentioned even just humans being hardwired to feel FOMO. And that's been the case since the beginning of human history. I think that's really interesting. You did suggest, uh, or you just kind of mentioned this in, in what you were just saying that you have removed many of the triggers in your life. Could you talk about what those triggers are and, and what folks should be looking out to remove perhaps in their life? Sure. I mean, let's talk. There's really two types of triggers. So when we think about dealing with FOMO, the definition which you mentioned is a fear that there's something better out there happening than what you're doing right now, often provoked by social media. That's A. And the second element is the fear of being excluded from a beneficial social or group collective experience. And that could be, for example, um, buying you know, GameStop um, last year during the GameStop time, right? And so in order to attack these things, number one, we need to think about our motivation. So when we think something's better, 
than what we're doing right now? Like, do we think critically about that? Like, what's better? How can I quantify that? Like, is it really better? Is this something that just looks good on the surface? Um, and second is motivation. You know, am I doing this because I truly want to do it, or am I doing this because everybody else is going to do it? So, like, if I'm out, I'm, my my best friend is a is a real estate investor, um, and and I've done a bunch of deals with him over the years uh, as a way to learn. And I remember in 2008, um, right before the crash, he he sold a bill a building for a crazy amount of money in New York. And I was like, dude, that's the top of the market. Like that's, that's, you know, that is ridiculous. And he was like, that's, that's not true. And then later I was proven right. Cause the market crashed like three days later. And I remember, you know, that's FOMO, right? When people are just bidding up assets and, you know, NFTs and crypto and all like what's going on there. If you think about it critically, people have no real knowledge about if it's really better. Uh, most people are investing because everybody else is making money. That's how financial bubbles are created. And so that's, the kind of stuff that I think about now. So getting into motivation and into critically thinking about whether this thing is better, that's kind of the internal work. And the external work is removing external stimuli that makes you feel this way. So when you're surfing, when you're on your apps, like having a good sense of like the feelings you have. So when I go on LinkedIn, it stresses me out. So I have to be smart about what I look at. You know, when I go, um, when I read the news and I see like crypto prices, I get all like, like, oh my God, I, I, everybody's making money but me. But I've, I've resisted, you know, just plowing money into things I don't understand because early in my career, I bought all these internet stocks in, two, in the year 2000 and I got wiped out. So I know what that feels like. So I'm really careful about that stimuli. Interesting. So it, it comes down to really connecting to the emotions and understanding when you're maybe not being played, but you're almost being swept up in the collective, uh, you know, wave of, hey, you know what, speculation in crypto or speculation in real estate or whatever it is. It's like, mm -hmm. you know, being aware of the fact that you may be in this sort of FOMO emotion and then taking a step back and saying, Hey, is this really where I need to be? Is this really the decision that I need to be making? Or is this just made out of this primal instinct or this hardwire that we have? You mentioned you, you did a Ted talk, which I loved, and you talked about, uh, the cure, uh, for FOMO and, and you mentioned it being decision-making and ultimately, you know, it sounds well, okay, that makes sense. Like move in a direction, but could you talk a little bit more about what you meant by that? I'm sure we could kind of dissect that a little bit, but talk to me about why is decision-making the cure? Yeah. The reason why is because when we have FOMO, our decision-making has been basically outsourced to all of this external stimuli. We're not making decisions based on what we truly want or need. Uh, we're making decisions based on all of these external pressures. And so when, and, and by the way, I'm not saying all FOMO is bad, right? FOMO can be an incredibly powerful motivator. Think about vaccine FOMO, right? I wrote an article for NBC News about, now some people are going to think like, oh my God, we hate you, Patrick, because you are pro vaccine mandate. But my point, and by the way, I am. So if you don't like that, you know, sorry. But um I was writing about the fact that when you require people to have a vaccine to go into a place, right? not a mandate per se, but saying, if you want to eat out in a restaurant in New York City, you need a vaccine, that the FOMO itself will encourage people to go and get their shot. And I think that that is, you know, that, that is an interesting thing. You know, we, that, that, it's marketing, right? All marketing is based on FOMO. So it's an incredible motivator. Um, and so when we think about how FOMO is driving our decision-making, it may be that we want to do that thing and it's great, but we should get back into like, why are we doing, what's the motivation? What's the logic? And remove the fear from decision-making and get back into facts and figures before we do things. 
I think harnessing FOMO for good is a really interesting concept. And you mentioned it in marketing. Uh, that's basically the the formula. It's harnessing FOMO for good and, and not always for good. But I think if we're right. Cigarettes know, we're, in the 1950s. <laughs> exactly. Right? That, that, that in itself is not good. Um, but, but I think about like folks who are raising capital for their deals or, um, they are trying to get debt or they're trying to get lenders on board to, you know, to fund their deals. It comes down to, Hey, look, this is an amazing deal. And if you don't do it, someone else is going to do it. And so, you know, there's a little bit of scarcity there. There's a little bit of a limited time opportunity. And obviously you've got to have the right uh, intentions on the back end to be able to deliver, you know, for those expectations. But I think that's what gets people to take action. Does that make sense? A hundred percent. And in fact, the way I think about FOMO and deal making is that FOMO creates leverage because I, I talk, I talk about this all. So as I said, with my friend, uh, the real estate investor, when he's putting together a deal and he's talking to financing sources, I'm like, okay, you know, you got all these people and they, they want to do deals. They're in the business of doing deals, but they also people, uh, you know, the FOBO, fear of a better option, which which we mentioned earlier. It's like, they'll always be like, well, you know what? Like, I like this deal, but what if a better deal comes? Or like, can I have a little more data? Or can we wait for another month and see what the rent roll looks like? Or whatever that kind of stuff is. Look at, I just did a little real estate talk there. I love and, it. That was good. Yeah, <laughs> trying for you, trying for you. And so, you know, people have an inclination to wait for a, like, it's like, I want the perfect set of data and the risk decision. And what you have to do when you're the deal maker is say like, you know what, like this is the train is leaving the station. Do you want in or don't you? And you have to create bounds around decision making. And so entrepreneurs raising capital or, you know, it's all about saying to people like either you move now or this deal goes away. Like, do you want to miss out? And then you actually, cause people will just drag you on and drag you on and drag you on. It's human nature and you got to push through that. Hey guys, just a quick word from our sponsor, then we'll be right back to the show. This episode of Elevate is brought to you by CF Capital, a national real estate investment firm founded by myself and my business partner, Brian Flaherty. CF Capital's mission is to provide property investment and asset management solutions to help investors like you maximize their returns by investing in high value multifamily communities. If you are looking for risk adjusted alternative investments in quality apartment communities are seeking tax optimized cash flow with appreciation upside without all the hassles of management, you might benefit from learning more about investing alongside our team. You're invited to reach out and learn more about how you can invest with us by visiting cfcapllc.com. We're also currently offering a free ebook called The Bottom Line, 10 Ways to Increase Cash Flow in an Apartment Complex. Whether you're a new or experienced investor, we're confident you'll find massive value in this resource. So go get your free copy today at cfcapllc.com. And now please enjoy the rest of the show. And I think about the fear of a better option side of things. When we think about that particular example, you can almost speak to it. And you tell me if this is wrong. You can almost speak to the innate fear of a better option for folks who are considering investing in the deal or lending for the deal um, in that, hey, you know what? I know that you may feel a fear of better option. You may not use this particular language. You may think that there are better options out there. And here's why we believe this is our best option. or This is the best um, deal or opportunity for this point in time. Is that something that you would recommend for folks to speak to that directly? Maybe not in that direct language. Yeah. I mean, what's going on when somebody has FOBO is that FOBO is the fear that basically something better is going to come along. And therefore, one should delay decision-making until one has 
a perfect set of information and, and has complete and total transparency. So you could be like, well, this, you know, say you bring me a deal. I'm like, well, okay, Tyler, like your deal is really nice, but like, what if next week somebody comes in with like a slightly better, you know, pricing on this thing, or like, you know, the amortization schedule is slightly better. And I'm maybe going to use that to like try and negotiate with you and that sort of stuff. Right. That's the FOBO. But the problem here is that the person who has FOBO is basing all of this on something that may or may not be true. They have no idea if something better is going to come. They're not comparing things rationally side by side. And so as the person who's trying to get the FOBO, say, the FOBO sapien to move, the, the, you, know, you have to basically, you have to say to them, listen, like, you know, unless you have something in hand, um, you know, this is, this is our deal. Do you want in or not? Or not? And I think it's really hard. And some people are incapable. Some people, their lives are uh, extraordinarily affected by FOBO because listen, FOBO can be a very powerful tactic in business, like just negotiating like a real, you know what, um, and, to, and, and if, if somebody has leverage and then they can just like, you know, rake you over the coals and stuff like that, they, their FOBO will cause them to like negotiate to the point where they maybe get a better deal, but everybody hates them. But, you know, then they think that they bring that FOBO into their personal life and they treat their family with that kind of stuff. And nobody, you know, it's a really bad sort of way to live life. Nobody ever said like, what a great leader. So indecisive, right? Such a, like negotiated the, every last penny out of me, you know, somebody I really want to spend time with now. Yeah, that's interesting. I, I think of FOBO in many different ways. I mean, I, we've experienced this ourselves where people will ask, well, what happens if, you know, a better opportunity comes next week or, you know, next month? And what I always resort to in those sort of circumstances is, look, a bird in the hand is worth two in the bush, you know, so to speak. And we've yeah. got a deal right now. And we're, we're certain about this opportunity. We have it under control. Here's where it's going. Here's the plan. Here's why we like that. You know, is there a possibility of a better deal? Certainly. You know, is there a possibility for a worse deal or, or no opportunity? Certainly. So the question is, what are the probabilities of those certain outcomes? So to kind of bring it to a rational sort of decision-making, perhaps that's one way to look at it. You know, I know that we're feeling these emotions, but if we were to bring it to a rational thought process, that's the way to look at it. Do you agree with that, Patrick? Yeah. And I think what you have to tell, what people have to do, and you may not convince them. And at that point, frankly, it's sort of like, I would just be like, listen, we've shown you all our numbers you're not willing to commit, like, we're going to end this conversation. Like, you just can't, you can't, you cannot accommodate that kind of um, hostage taking. But it's also like, well, what's your hurdle IRR? Okay, it's, you know, whatever, it's, I don't know, 15%, 20%. 25, whatever. Dude, you're impressive right now. Look at you. Like you're like the real estate guru right now. I love it. Um, thank you. Uh, I try. Um, but you know, we're hitting your hurdle rate. So like, what more would you want? You know, the, your, your job for, is to deliver your investors a certain return. When your money is sitting in a bank account, you know what it's earning? Nothing. So like either do a deal. Yeah. Put some money to work. And let's make money for everybody or like, let, let me move on and find somebody who's got some cojones and let's do it. Yeah. Or, or what else is holding you back? Because if you told me that that's your target, that's your hurdle and you're not moving forward, what's the real story here? What's the totally. story beneath the story? So that's, that's an interesting totally. one, man. Um, I just think about FOBO also from an investor standpoint as, you know, we look at a lot of deals. Like I know our company, I mean, we look at hundreds of deals before we pull the trigger just because many deals are overpriced. They just don't make sense. But you do get into this point where you have this FOBO of, well, if we pull the trigger here, we're going to put all our bandwidth into this opportunity. And, you know, well, if we're just a little bit more patient, then, you know, we will truly have, you know, a double, a triple, a home run. And so I'd feel like that creates analysis paralysis. Could you speak to that a bit? 
Yeah. I mean, I think that's, you know, it goes back to the same thing. When you are managing capital and you've got to find deals and you, you know, like, and you've seen like some really special deals, maybe you lost out on them because, you know, at the end of the day, the good deals, everybody goes after, right? So like, if you don't have some sort of edge or something special, you, you can want it all you want, but you lost out to Goldman Sachs or to some, you know, whatever, uh, college roommate, stuff like that. Um, and so you can get into a space where you are constantly in search mode, constantly in analysis mode, but don't actually do any deals. I work for a private equity firm right out of business school that raised a, a couple hundred million dollar fund. And it was their first time. I mean, they had been successful deal makers like on a kind of like deal by deal basis, but this was their first fund. And these guys were weeding for the most perfect deal like the beautiful deal where like it was like a cheap entry point and also like but huge growth up. I mean, they wanted everything to be perfect. Okay. And I worked for them and we, and it was a very frothy market time. So everything was trading at like eight times EBITDA and with like tons of financing and like it was people were overpaying, but there were decent deals we could have done. And because they were waiting for the perfect deal, they actually got a few of them, but they only invested like 70 million out of their fund. And so at the end of the day, like they failed. Because fund management isn't just finding three great deals. It's deploying an entire fund into assets that return the expected return, right? And so that's what I would say is like, just remember like, yes, you know, we all want the best deal, but we also have to like, you know, if you're waiting around for the perfect deal, you're never going to do, you know, any deals. And so you might just get one. And so, yeah, you do a like a crazy return on one deal. You're doing like a four X on a real estate deal, which is insane, but it's one deal and you didn't deploy much capital. So didn't really pay, pay for dinner. <laughs> yeah. The, the imagery that I think about as well, is like the train is leaving the station. It's mm. possible. Another train comes, it may be worse. It may be better or no mm. train is going to come. You know, you, yeah, you yeah. you're either going to catch this one or not. So that's really powerful. But let's talk a little bit about decision-making in times of uncertainty, because I think that, you know, currently, obviously from an economic standpoint, from a market standpoint across the country, across many different regions, across the world, obviously we're in a global economy. And of course, by the way, we're dealing with a pandemic now, two years, <laughs> two years going on. And of course that creates a continued sense of uncertainty, whether we've got a new strain, you know, uh, 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 and so forth. So talk to me about decision-making in the time of uncertainty, because I think a lot of investors today are saying, well, you know, what if, you know, in the next year or two, we're looking at the next 2009, you know, why should I be, why, why shouldn't I be experiencing FOBO? Why isn't that actually driving me in a positive direction? Talk to me a little bit about that. Yeah. Listen, first of all, it's a great question. And frankly, um, I get it. I super get it because as a venture capitalist, like that we're raising a fund right now and it's sort of like, well, there could be a massive correction event. So are we better to hold our dry powder for the market to correct? I would ask the first question is, and this is, this is a bit cheeky, but it's true. It's like, okay. Okay. So maybe next year is 2009. Great. Back in 2009, did you have the conviction to deploy a ton of capital? Did you feel, you know, did you wake up and were like, I see the market bottom. I'm just going to start investing. If you did, and if you had that kind of foresight, like then, okay. But if you didn't, then don't come telling me that you're somehow going to like grow uh, the capacity to take high risk bets overnight, right? That would be my number one thing to say. Um, my number two thing to say would be, listen, um, the best way to deal with uncertainty is to diversify, right? So real estate's not going away. But do you want to be all commercial? Do you want to be all multifamily? Do you want to be all 
co-working spaces? No, right? Maybe you need to diversify and take a bet on where trends are going and also like decrease leverage because God forbid the, the market sees up, you know? So there is like risk mitigation, but diversification, um, having learned this in 2008 when everything blew up for me and now being aggressively diversified, when the pandemic came, I was shocked at how how it works to be diversified. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that, no, that's a good one. And I also think about these, if I were to ask myself that question, it's like, all right, well, if that is the case, then what can we do to protect that downside? You mentioned risk mitigation. It's like, all right, well, if the worst case scenario did occur, how can you hold on and not crystallize those losses? I always I always say you only crystallize the loss if you sell, right? If you, if you can hold on, if you can steer the ship in the right direction in bumpy times or rocky waters, then of course you can mm. continue to make it through. But ultimately it almost comes down to, in my opinion, but I'd love to hear your thoughts on this. It comes down to courage to making decisions and having conviction and moving in a direction, right? It's not just about sitting still because I think that's the that's what happens when we experience these emotions from whether it's FOMO or FOBO. It's like, we're, we're just, we're just locked up. Like we're not moving in any direction. So you got to have courage to make a decision, right. And be willing to course correct along the way. But do you agree with that? I do. I mean, the antidote to FOMO and FOBO is to have the courage to choose what you actually want and the, um, and the courage to miss, sorry, the power to choose what you actually want and the courage to miss out on the rest. And so like a great example of missing out on the rest is, well, I could wait to see what happens with the markets and not invest anything. And maybe, maybe that's what you should do. I can't, you know, I'm not going to give people investment advice, but I thought the tech markets were overvalued in 2008. And if I had been waiting for a correction, I would have, I'd be like, I would have no job. So, you know, that was not... (laughs) It's just hard to predict these things. Well, you mentioned it in the TED Talk. I mean, it's it's weighing the benefits and costs of choices. It's prioritizing your decisions. It's listening to your gut. It's silencing the FOMO and FOBO by being confident in your decisions and saying, look, you know what, if... It, you know, I'm, I'm courageous enough to miss out on, you know, the other side of the fence here and also categorizing those decisions from high stakes, low stakes, no stakes. Those are the different decision types. So I thought that was super insightful. Um, so I appreciated you sharing that. But the other thing too, that I thought was uh, a really cool quote that I actually heard from your podcast was the fact that we get to decide is powerful and that's a gift in itself. And so like, it's almost like flipping this and saying, instead of, Oh my gosh, I have so many decisions to make. Cause I know that real estate investors, human beings in general, it's like, we can either be overwhelmed with the, you know, the plethora of options in front of us as investors, as people, as parents, as friends, as, you know, people that are interacting with an increasingly, um, you know, technologically advanced world. We can either look at this and say, Oh my, my gosh, like there's so many things that I'm missing out or there's so many better options out there. Or you can say, look, it's a gift that I get to choose. What do you think about that? Yeah. I mean, that is exactly right. And I think just, you know, back to the world of real estate, like I have a, I spent some time in Bangladesh years ago, a couple of years back now. And I actually became friendly through friends with a guy who uh, was a real estate developer there. And like, you know, he, it's like the amount of things that he had to deal with and the opportunity set that he had vis-a-vis somebody like in the States who's doing real estate investing. Granted, like if you're really good, you can do incredible things. Right. But like, it's just like, it's a whole different ball game versus here you show up, you have financing, you have tons of, you know, people you can work with. You've got like, you know, all this, just like a whole ecosystem of opportunity that, that is created for you. And, and so in the business world, being in a place that a developed economy where there's financing sources, where, you know, it's just, 
many, many, many more opportunities. And it's like being thankful and saying like, wow, it's pretty cool that we live in a place with functioning capital markets um, and bankruptcy laws. And, you know, you can take your tenants to court if they don't pay. Like that's, you know, don't take it for granted. Right. And I think when it gets into just like general life, it's sort of like, you know, we all have challenges, right? I'm not here to say like life is perfect in a certain place or not, but, you know, just our basic ability to just do stuff, get stuff, just make decisions about what we want to do with our time, money, and energy is really high and it can be overwhelming. But if you think about it, you should be really grateful that you can do these things. Yeah. I had a similar experience this past summer. We were in uh, Costa Rica for a mastermind retreat and, you know, it's such a beautiful place. Such a be- The people are so beautiful in themselves and just the, the culture and the energy of, of that country is amazing. And, and I, I just can't wait to go back. But I was thinking about the same thing because with real estate, I mean, you, you got to buy all cash in uh, yeah. Costa Rica, you know, access to financing. You have to be a citizen, first of all. And if you are a citizen, I mean, we're talking about astronomical interest rates. And one of the most valuable things in America in terms of real estate investing is the access to leverage. And that's one of the most powerful tools that we have as investors to create value is to appropriately finance our deals. And so to your point, it's, it's having gratitude for the options that we have and recognizing that there are so many gifts around us instead of saying, woe is me. You know, I I have so many different problems and challenges and decisions to make. It's, hey, I'm grateful for what's in front of me. So that's powerful. But one thing I wanted to talk to you about as well, Patrick, is, you know, when I think about mind expansion for folks who are real estate investors or human beings in general, it's studying similar fields. It's studying fields outside of your direct purview. And I'd be curious, I mean, yourself as a as a venture capitalist. I'd be curious, you know, what patterns are you observing right now? What sort of decisions are you making? Maybe some decisions that are on your plate right now in terms of investment decisions that might be valuable for folks in the real estate community to uh, to learn from. Yeah, oof, it's tricky right now, isn't it? I mean, we're in a weird time. Uh, so I, I I had a call yesterday. I caught up with a friend of mine who's a venture capitalist here who I worked with back in 2000, 2001 when, you know, we went through the first tech kind of blow up. Right. And she was saying to me like, it feels like 2000, 2001 again, not that things are as bad, but there is, um, there's a lot of weird, let's just think about it. You got, um, the markets are kind of, you know, hyper volatile. You have the end of quantitative easing. And so who, what does that look like? You've got political uh, instability in the US, uh, like just nothing is working. Like our people, our leaders aren't talking to each other. They're unable to pass legislation. Like, I don't care where you are on the spectrum, like you're not happy. Um, Your people aren't getting the things that you want. Um, There's no compromise. Uh, We have like weird asset bubbles all over the place. We've got post-pandemic adjustment where you have like certain markets like surging, like Miami, right? Like real estate, Miami, New York, all sort of stuff. You have like the fact that like office buildings in New York have nobody in them. There's like all this weird, crazy stuff right now. And so what I've been trying to do anyway is think about, and it's hard, right? I don't have the answers, but it's like, okay, well, what have, what's changed permanently and what do we think is going to revert back to normal? And how do we then invest in the trends that we think are going to be decade trends or you know multi-decade trends? And so, for example, you know, in the VC fund that I that I work in, um, we've been looking at things like online education. We've been looking at things like remote work, um, fintech, things that and not like stupid fintech. That's like some random you know 
token that nobody will ever actually use to pay for something. But how can we leverage technology to improve financial services for people? So a lot of stuff like that, like thinking about the old dinosaurs of the corporate world that couldn't respond. Um, what, who's going to come up and replace them? That's the A. And the B is like just thinking about more rigor in terms of valuation. So, you know, right now is not a time to be like paying top dollar for assets. It's time to be selling, um, a really good time to be selling. And so those are the kinds of things I've been thinking about. It's really, I think it's like back to basics rigor. Um, and I don't personally think we're going to see like 2008, 2001. I, I don't, I think it's going to be a softer landing, but I think that like sentiment is so pessimistic right now because people are just a bit kind of cranky anyway, after two years of all of this that, you know, they're just like, they're a little bit on a risk off mode. So that's kind of where my, my head is at. Yeah. It's interesting. Cause it's like, to your point, it's, it's a great time to be a seller, whether you're selling a business, selling real estate, uh, it seems to be historically not the best time to be a buyer, but at the same time, I know a lot of real estate investors, including my company and our, you know, myself, we think about inflation as well. So it's like, well, you know, you can't just sit around because you're just getting destroyed when it comes to inflation. So it is a very complicated time and a time for us to be continuing to, to share insight and wisdom with each other. But uh, give us a sense of what your investment thesis is, your strategy, what you guys look for, all that kind of stuff. Yeah. So I, so the way that I structure my kind of stuff is I do, I have a real portfolio of activities professionally and investment wise. So on the, you know, on the investment side, I have a bunch of long-term investments. I've been investing in startups and VC funds for the last decade. And it takes like, <laughs> it takes a decade to get your money back if it does well. So like, that's one thing you lose your money quickly, you make it slowly in the venture capital world, but then, you know, the multiples are really big. So I do that. That's about, let's see now, probably about 20% of my investment capital. Then I have another sort of 10 to 20 that's in real estate stuff because it's a great uncorrelated asset and, you know, it's income producing over the long run. Um, and then I'm an investor, you know, I have like stocks and bonds and things like that. So it's, it's pretty diversified. I obviously keep a lot of cash too, because, you know, I like cash is king, even though I know it's inflation, I still, I like to have cash on hand. And then, um, I don't do crypto. Um, I never understood it. And frankly, like it stresses me out too much. So like, I don't know, I get so much FOMO that I ignore it all, except when the prices are falling. And then I look at them every hour. I'm that guy. <laughs> I love it, man. Even the guy who coined FOMO is telling us exactly about how you experience that right now. That's hilarious. Mm -hmm. Now that, that makes a lot of sense. And I appreciate you giving us a look behind the curtain there. And uh, we've all got decisions to make, man. This is why uh, I think what you bring to the table is so valuable um, for us to be courageous and recognize, hey, what what have, what have we been hardwired for? And how can we avoid those triggers? How can we be aware of that so that we can make courageous decisions and not just stand still because in my opinion, it's like, we've always got to be moving in some way, right? We got to be moving forward. We got to be trying, we got to be failing, picking ourselves back up and look, we're going to make wrong decisions, especially as investors, we're going to fail, but failure is feedback. It's not fatal, right? And mm -hmm. if we learn from it. So, uh, Patrick, this has been great, man. I really appreciate you spending time with me. I appreciate you, uh, helping us and allowing us to dive into your mind today, but I want to transition to the rapid fire section of the podcast. It's called the rare questionnaire. It's all about being uncommon, right? It, you know, the commonalities in the herd mentality is to, you know, to be swept up by FOMO unconsciously, not even be aware of it, be swept up by FOBO 
unconsciously and not even be aware of it. Now, now we've brought that to the consciousness. And uh, so we're going to be a little bit uncommon today. So I've got a few questions for you. Um, I'd love to know if you had to point to two or three of the most impactful books that you've read over the past few years, what would those be and why? Oh boy. Uh, number one is um, Man's Search for Meaning by Viktor Frankl. Number two is um, The Lean Startup. And number three is uh, The Happiness Advantage by Sean Acor. Love it. Love it, man. We'll put links in the show notes. I've read those first two. I have not read the uh, the third one you mentioned there, but we'll put links in the show notes as where the listeners can find those books as well as your books, Patrick, The 10% Entrepreneur and Fear of Missing Out, Practical Decision-Making in a World of Overwhelming Choice. So for the listeners who are interested to find those, just go check out the show notes. And um, Patrick, if you had to point to the biggest way that you elevate your life on a daily basis, what would you say about that? Uh, meditation every day. Boom. What type of medica- meditation, medication, what type of uh, meditation, <laughs> what type of meditation do you engage in? Or do you have a few different types? No, it's like super basic. I, it's the thing is like, I feel like when I talk about it, then you're going to be like, oh, it's nothing. But I just do, I just do 10 minutes a day. I do uh, mindfulness meditation. You know, I just kind of like sit there and it works. Yeah. Same here, man. It's so interesting because even just like before this, you know, I had a ton of emails I got to check and it's like the emotion that I'm experiencing is a little bit of stress, but I'm aware of that. And so now Mm -hmm. I can separate my, um, my being swept up again in that emotion and letting that take me into a direction that I don't want to go. So that practice, it it just pays off, man. It's like one of those things It's just like, it pays dividends constantly in my life. I'm sure you experience the same thing. Yeah. Totally. And it's, it doesn't take a big investment. No, not at all. Not at all. Uh, that's awesome. What's the biggest way that you elevate others around you, Patrick? Oh, I would say just creating all this, I think hopefully helpful content that people seem to, you know, I get a lot of letters and, and other sort of feedback that people are finding it meaningful. So, you know, we just help people to take their own unique path in life and whatever that means for you. I, I try to give you the tools to do that. Yeah. Well, Patrick, man, I just want to acknowledge you. Uh, you are definitely childlike and fun, um, but also somebody who's, I, I think, giving people the tools to be more courageous in their life. And I just appreciate that. I want to acknowledge you for coining this globally used phrase and term uh, so that we can be more aware of of this hardwiring that, you know, we've all been given as a gift in some ways, right? It's a gift. Um, but now that we're more aware of it, man, we have uh, such a more, such a greater ability to take our life, to take our business to the next level. So just really appreciate you, Patrick. Appreciate you being on the show. Is there any parting thoughts or words of wisdom that you'd like to share with Elevate Nation today? Well, I would just say whenever you see a, an opportunity, a deal that you really want to invest in, but you know you shouldn't, don't make the investment. Just put it in the FOMO folio. That's all the deals that we felt FOMO about, but we didn't do. I love that. That's awesome, man. Thank you for that tip. That's great. And uh, we're, there's going to be many of those. There has been many for me. There has been many, I'm sure, for the listeners. Uh, but what a great reminder in itself. We don't have to do everything. But Patrick, thank you again for being on Elevate Podcast. Really appreciate you. Uh, tell the listeners where the best place is that they can find you across the internet. Sure. You can find me at patrickmcginnis.com, P-A-T-R-I-C-K-M-C-G-I-N-N-I-S. I'm on Instagram at Patrick J. McGinnis, Twitter at PJ McGinnis. And you can email me at letsconnect at patrickmcginnis.com. Wow. Love it. All right, my friend, we will put links in the show notes as where the listeners can find all of those things as well as FOMO Sapiens podcast. And Patrick, until next time, my friend, thanks again for being on the show. 
Thank you so much. Elevate Nation. What a fun conversation with Patrick McGinnis. Really, really showing us how we can unlock more potential. In my opinion, I believe this is a this is about unlocking more potential. It's also about unlocking more fulfillment, enjoyment in our life. And ultimately, that's what we do this for, right? That's why we design a business. That's why we design systems. That's why we invest in ourselves, right? It's to have a greater enjoyment of life. And of course, we have goals, we have dreams, we have aspirations beyond just that simple fact. But ultimately, I think if we keep it really simple, it all boils down to enjoyment of life, um, you know, having a greater sense of purpose, of contribution, of expansion, um, and really of happiness and so forth. I think all those things come from investing in ourselves, doing hard things, making tough decisions, um, recognizing that we've got a very complex tool here in our mind that when we understand it better, we can use it better. And so today's episode was just so valuable for me. And, and I took a lot away from this, but I hope you did as well. And I want to encourage you to identify what are the top one, two or three key distinctions or takeaways that you got from this episode and from this discussion yourself. If you only have one, just jot that one down. And uh, that can be a clue for you to take action or for you to behave in a different or better way as you move forward. I also want to encourage you to discuss this with a friend. And when we have discourse, when we really evaluate and we expand upon a discussion, that's when we learn more. So I want to encourage you to have a discussion. Uh, grab a cup of coffee um, with someone else and talk to them about FOMO and FOBO. And how does that relate to your decision making? How does that relate to your day to day opportunities and in and, and operations? And how might you adjust or make course corrections and grow as a result of learning more about this psychology and um, this mindset? So I want to encourage you to do that. I also want to encourage you to re-listen. If you listen twice, you learn twice as much. I also want to encourage you, most importantly, to distill this down to action steps. Take massive action because without action, there is no growth. There is no power. Without decision making, there is no expansion. There is no contribute. There is no, uh, you know, uh, progress. <laughs> I've got to spit it out here, Tyler. Uh, but at the end of the day, I just want to thank you so much for listening to Elevate Podcast. We really appreciate you. And until next time, thank you so much for listening and we will see you next time. Thank you for listening to Elevate. If you enjoyed this episode, be sure to rate, review, subscribe, and pay it forward by sharing with a friend. Most importantly, take this opportunity to elevate your results by taking immediate action on what you learned. For more, visit elevatepod.com.